All right, so we're going to start up with a question, or two questions, actually, this morning. The first one is, what do you complain about the most uh, during the week or, you know, different parts of your life, and why do you complain about it? Um, and then also, how has your internal life, thoughts, and desires changed since becoming a Christian? And maybe you're not a Christian, you're just checking it out. So maybe for you, like, how would you like some of your internal uh, thought life to shift? Um, and so I just kind of want to throw that out there for, for everyone. So we're going to just break off into groups of threes. If you came with someone, I'd love for you to meet a person maybe you don't know as well. And um, just go ahead and start dialoguing. If you don't have a group, just jump into one. It's kind of like high school, but hopefully more inclusive. All right. All right, thanks everyone for sharing. I'm sure some of you guys had really long lists of complaints and um, took up most of the time. So we are in the book of Philippians. If you guys want to turn there to your Bibles or your phones or you can look up on the screen, we're just kind of working through one section at a time and that's kind of what we do at Renew. We took the book of John our first year and a half and now we're in the second book. And um, I think partly why we want to do that is hopefully to teach all of us how to read scripture as a body, right? That's part of the process for why we're um, going through one book at a time. So let me read this to you. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so here, Paul, he is so delighted by the Philippian church. And there's so much of what church looks like that goes beyond Sunday service. That there's a sense that the values and the culture and the ethics that they, um, that they do as a community when Paul's around, they also embody when they're outside of the four walls of the church. And I think for Renew, maybe one of the things I love best about our community and, and that I talk about most is how our church goes beyond these walls, the relationships, the love, the concern. There, it goes way beyond our Sunday service. But we're going to focus on this next part. It talks about salvation. And I think that's one of the most critical questions of the Christian faith, but also religion in general. What does salvation look like? How do I get to heaven? Um, and, and that's a question that every religion has to answer. And I want to suggest to you that all religions kind of fall under this category, but Christians fall under another category. So if you ask a Hindu or a Jewish person or a Muslim or a Buddhist, how do you become Buddhist or Jewish? How do you get to heaven? They have the set of morals and religious rituals in which you would have to do for a certain amount of time in order to be, be good, in order to, um, to get to heaven and be in a right relationship with God. And that's pretty typical. But, and I think about one of the people I've met, she converted to Judaism and it took her 10 years so for 10 years, she went to synagogue, she studied under a rabbi, she, did, uh, she ate cultured food, and then after 10 years, they finally accepted her 
into the Jewish faith. So it's kind of front-loaded. There's this bar that you have to reach in how you live out your life and your belief in religious rituals. And once you get there, you are accepted into that religion. But Christianity has a different approach. Christianity is invite first. So for other, other belief systems, you are, you, you are good, then you become that religion. But for the Christian faith, you don't be good and then become Christian. You become Christian, then you do good out of that. And I think there's something very powerful about that because I've done a homeless ministry for two years. I've done prison ministry for a year. And I get to sit with someone and say, right from where you are, you can make a decision to become Christian. You can be invited into the family of God right from where you are. And the people I've talked to, if I had any bar for them, they would give up. If you have a decent human bar set up, They'd be like, well, that's too far for me. But to be able to sit next to someone uh, who's committed murder, to be able to sit next to someone who's severely addicted to drugs, and to say, hey, the kingdom of God is one step away from, from you, is tangible. You just have to reach out, just like it is for the best person on earth. There's something really powerful about that. There's something powerful about going out and sharing on our campus or sitting with a neighbor and being and in that moment saying, you can be a part of God's family without doing anything. And yet there's good, good is still part of the picture. It's not to be neglected. And I think there's an aspect or a category of the Christian faith in which we can be like, uh, where we're so grace-centered that that doing good or being good is completely removed from the Christian story. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Out of our Christian faith, out of our belief, out of God working salvation outward, right? This working out your salvation, it starts inward and then it moves outward. We start doing good. And that aspect is so incredibly important as well. So I think about um, you know some analogies for this, and one of the things would be like we're we in Christianese we call it like bearing fruit, like doing good things or having good character, right? And so I would say like if you imagine a fruit tree with like an orange hanging off of it, the fruit itself doesn't give life to the tree, right? It, having the orange or not doesn't uh, give it life or sustain its life. But the fruit gives evidence that there is life. In the same way, when we do good stuff, it doesn't give us our salvation. It doesn't give us our relationship with God. But doing good and living morally gives evidence that there's life inside of us, that God lives in us. But we do it out of a position, out of life being there first. Uh, I think it was in Kill Bill, and I botched the quote twice, which is a feat, but um, he talks about Superman, and he says that everyone else puts on a costume to become the superhero, but Superman wears a costume to be human. Or, he, or something like, everyone else has this alter ego as a superhero, but Superman's alter ego is Clark Kent, 
right? So you th think about a lot of the superheroes you know, and I'm sure you comic nerds will correct me, like, there's other people. But like Iron Man, for example, or, or other people, uh, they put on the suit, they put on the costume, and that's their alter ego. But for Superman, it's part of who he is, and the alter ego is him being human, right? And so for the Christian, um, <laughs> yeah, there's the transition here. Uh, for the Christian, we are rebirthed, and, and then we're just learning to live that out. So Superman was Superman as a baby before he discovered his powers. Superman was Superman as a teenager when he's starting to run faster and, and, and realize who he is. But his realization didn't determine who he was. He's just realizing it. And then he actualizes it as an adult, right? And in the same way, as a Christian, we are who we are from the very beginning. And we're just realizing it. We're just working it out. We are already righteous, but now we're working out our righteousness. Or I, I often say we are already family before we met. Before you came into this room, we were family if you are a child of God. But we get to actualize that. We get to get to know our stories and our names and struggle together and do life together. We get to be the family that we are. We get to be the Christian that we are. And then in this next part, it says not that we're working out our salvation. Our salvation is given to us um, in, the spot, in the spot that you are right now. Um, you can become a Christian. You know, God does it all for us. He, he dies on the cross. He gets executed so that we don't have to make up for our bad, but he can forgive us right where we are. And we make this decision to follow him. Isn't that the most simplistic religion, right? There's no membership fee. There's no church attendance. There's no moral bar on the front end. It's just saying, God, would you forgive me? And I want to live for you. All of us can make that decision in this very moment. And then there's this process, working out our salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So just as in salvation we're fully dependent on God, so we are fully dependent on that being worked out of our lives. And I think a lot of times that's the disconnect of a Christian, right? We depend on God for salvation, but we depend on ourselves for doing it right, for living ethically, for trying to do good. And, and it becomes enormously frustrating. But it says that God is the one not only to help us do the good, but even to give us the desire for the good. And I hope that we would sit back and think about all the things that we hate doing as a Christian. And instead of just trying harder to do them, we would say, God, would you shift my desire? Before I go and do all these things, let me desire to do it first. And that is something only God can do in our hearts. And it needs to happen. Or we're doing it as a hypocrite, or we're doing it um, angrily and bitterly, and, and then we burn out. How in our hearts can God sh shift our desires in that fundamental way? I think about, uh, lastly, that this shift of desire and the working out of good is for his good pleasure, that it actually gives God joy in doing that in our lives. This is 
Zion. I asked parents' permission to post photos. And uh, one of our babies at church, I think we knew babies and kids are like the most loved. And, you know, they're not just segmented, uh, but they're a part of our community. And, you know, we chase them around and Maddie uh, panhandles for gum, you know, we know their names. And so I just love how they're in our community. They are important, disarming, fun. Uh, you know, we take our, our eyes off of ourself. I mean, they're, they're little miracles. They do so much for who we are as a community. So I really appreciate uh, our babies. And I really love Zion. And I think about the joy that we have as a community and especially the, the parents have in seeing a child grow up, watching him take his first steps, which has not happened yet, right? Belinda being concerned that he's not rolling over, you know, and how he'll learn to speak and to read and to run. And that process of growth, the relationship and the bonding that happens in that process I think as Christians, we can have this perspective that God just wants us to produce. God just wants the product, and he's uninvolved in the process, that the process is frustrating for him. Do you feel that as a Christian, like like you just want to be perfect, or you just want to stop that sin, or you just want to um, not lose your temper anymore, or, or go feed homeless people and have the capacity to do that? I think for me, that's a lot of my Christian life. Like, there's this frustration that I'm not where I want to be. There's not, it's, I'm not where I envisioned myself. I'm not what the, the man that the Bible prescribes. And I just get so angry. And I feel like I'm angry because God's angry with me. Because God's like, why aren't you there yet? You know, why, why, why haven't you, why aren't you sprinting? Why aren't you running marathons? Why aren't you as articulate as you're supposed to be? Why are you still watching this stuff, or thinking this way, or behaving that way. But I think being, seeing God as a father, saying, man, like, I don't think, I think moms and dads, they, there's this baby, and he can't walk, and he can't speak, and he can't put on clothes, and he's wearing a diaper, and You know, I I think Belinda wouldn't trade that, those years, for him being able to do all of that and being full grown. That there's this, maybe she would, I don't know. But there's this this sense that the journey is, is bonding and beautiful and good. And I feel like, even though we get frustrated, God's like, there's pleasure as I see your desires shift. There's pleasure in the process. There's pleasure in watching you grow and stumble and eat it sometimes and get up again. That's not just about you being perfect or good or doing the right things, but it's about the relationship in the process of getting there. I think that's what God's most focused on. Like, in this journey of being good, are we doing it with God? Are we falling more in love with him? Do we see his love and his kindness and his patience in it? That this journey is primarily about the relationship 
and not just about getting there. So I wonder, in the places where you feel frustrated by sin, in the places where you're on this process of trying to do good, but, but there's limits, in the places where you've just given up and said, man, screw it, I'm done here. Um, have you seen God as someone who's just angrily yelling at you to teleport? Or do you see God as a loving father, a loving mo- mother who enjoys the process, who will spend years in like teaching and being patient and walking us one step at a time and being okay. I hope that as we are frustrated again this week by not doing enough good, not being enough good, that we will in that process say, God, shift my desires, help me to do good, but more than that, Let me feel your pleasure in this process. More than that, let me see you smile as we journey together. More than that, let me experience your love and your patience and your kindness. And, you know, if he wanted us to be perfect right away, we wouldn't do this whole sanctification thing, right? We would just jump to heaven and we'd be, I mean, it's going to happen. We see Jesus face to face and we become like him. But there's this process because God gets glory in it and joy from it. And I hope that in the process, we would, we would reflect that. Like we would feel the joy and pleasure in relationship and the bonding that's happening and that that would define this Christian journey and not anger and frustration and why can't I move faster? And I think that relates to this next segment Right, So kind of out of that comes this maybe example of this process. One, one example, but I think this example kind of uh, can spread all over the place because grumbling is part of like all the dissatisfaction in our lives. We, that's why we grumble about it. We feel like we're, we don't have control over it, and it probably reaches to most categories. And I think maybe for myself, I, I feel the saddest when I realize I'm grumbling about a blessing. Like God is gifting me with something and I'm like grumbling about it. So we don't just grumble about the things that are going wrong in our lives. We grumble about the good things too. Like um, for me, I grumbled most about college. And then I grumbled a lot about, complained a lot about, um, about seminary. I hate school. But man, what percentage of people get an education in this world? And my pastor paid for my seminary from, my, from two churches ago. That's so generous. And when I step back, I'm like, you've given me such an amazing gift, and I am grumbling. And I think we all have spaces in our life, whether it's good or bad, that we're grumbling about and or complaining about. And he kind of gives us this vision that if we don't grumble and complain about people or things, that this would actually be a sharp contrast from who we are and the rest of the world around us. That we would be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Can't see holding fast to the word of life. 
So when we think about grumbling, I think about like how when we grumble or complain, it's always external, right? We're always pointing to something. And it's like, if that something was removed, I would stop complaining, like um, getting sawed in half or <laughs> being put in that thing where it crushes you. I'm just kidding. But I think most of the times we complain, we could point to something external and say, I'm complaining because of this. But what I realize is that it's more internal than it is external, right? So for example, oftentimes uh, me and Nina will go around the apartment community over the last two years and we'll survey people like, hey, how's your living experience? And we live in the same place as they do. They live at the same place as they do. And we have the same problems. The laundry and dryer doesn't work sometimes. Parking sucks. There's a cockroach once in a while, not too often. Um, you know, and what else? Neighbors smoke pot, right? Kind of the same things. And um, some people, even though it's in the same space, they love their experience. It's quiet, they say. You know, the machine doesn't work, but, you know, hopefully it gets fixed soon. And generally, I'm really happy to be here. And then the next person right next to them will, will hate their experience. They're angry, right? They're cursing me out, and, and they're leaving tomorrow. I'm like, how is this happening? And then I'll serve at a soup kitchen a, a while ago, and, one, and we serve the same exact meal, right? It's usually mashed potatoes um, that started in like powder form, and you, know, you just keep mixing it into water, and then it's like magic. And then we serve the same meal to every person. And one person will be really grateful. Like, hey, thank you so much. This is a great meal. Thank you so much for serving. And the other person's like, this line is so long, and I had that mashed potato yesterday. Can you just give me the powder, right? And so, um, so I realized, like, it's the same external experience, but internally, one person is grateful and the other person is complaining. It's the same external experience, but one person's okay and has peace, and the other person is really angry. And I would say that in the same way that applies to our lives and our complaints, my complaints and your complaints. Someone else can experience what you're experiencing and be fine. And you're probably experiencing what someone else is really complaining about, and you're like, but that doesn't sound like a big deal to me. So it's really about us. It's really about how can God, kind of in this broad example of God processing with us, show us in our complaints that in our complaints we would ask him to shift our hearts, that in our complaints we would ask him to change us more than the circumstance and to walk alongside of us so that we could do good in the areas that we complain about. You're not able to worship in your complaints. You're not able to be thankful in your complaints. You're not able to serve others in your complaints because your complaints is about you. But God, how can I shift so that in the same situation, I see others? In the same situation, I see you. Um, one, of the, one of the people I was sharing this with, she was talking about her complaint was like driving. She hates commuting, right? And I was like, man, I don't really see this applying to you. <laughs> and she's like, well, I, you know, when I step back and I'm asking God to shift my heart, I'm saying, God, help me to be thankful that I get a home to live in. And even though I have to commute up, I get a house, I get housing for free. And help me to th- be thankful for wanting to commute up because I have a church family that I want to be with. And I never really wanted to have anything here before. 
and she's just kind of shifting, right? Or someone else, or for me, I get, sorry, uh, don't, don't take it personal. So <laughs> I get really, I complain about people who I have to explain things multiple times to, right? Like, and then Molly said, what? And I was like, uh, <laughs> not multiple, singular, <laughs> more than plural. So, um, and so there's this person, and we're dialoguing, and I won't use this person's name, but she, this person was upsetting me, right? Um, and I was like trying to explain it, and then she wasn't getting it, and then I was like upset and like complaining in my heart. But I'm try- I try to be careful with what I say because I realize like if I am upset with someone, it doesn't just come from like your friend or uh, your neighbor, but it's like your pastor, right? So I'm like pretty guarded with my behavior, but internally I was getting upset. And um, so I was applying this lesson to myself. I'm like, what does it look like for me to shift my heart where it's not just about her understanding what I'm saying and doing it, but it's about, not Katie, by the way, but it's about um, me loving her and, um, and caring about her soul more than her function, right? And, and patiently walking with her and, and preserving our relationship first and putting all these things that are important above my, my focused upsetness, putting her above myself. And I see Paul do this. You know, he, he exemplifies it. He's like, I was poured out as a drink offering. And if you look at his circumstance, he's writing, as he's pinning this letter, he's in prison. As he's pinning this letter, he's awaiting possible execution. I mean, if you think your situation's bad, if you think you have something to complain about, Paul had, a thou- had it a thousand times worse, right? But how does he describe his disposition? How does he describe even how others should think of him? He says, I am glad and rejoice with you. He says, likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Because instead of looking at his circumstances, he looks at the Philippian church and he says, man, you guys are bearing fruit. You guys are doing well. The kingdom of God is advancing. And that's what I care about. God has shifted his heart away from the things that we normally are most focused on, our desires are most um, oriented towards, our comfort, our wealth, um, our comfort again. I really like being comfortable. Um, Paul, Paul shifts, and what's most in front of him is this church that he loves. What's most in front of him is these people that are able to live out the gospel and see God work in their lives. What's most in front of him is serving others. He gives us that example in Christ, and through Christ, he becomes that example for us as well. I'd love for us just to spend a minute or or two just asking, you know, again, it was a trap, right? I warned you. But the area that you complained about, how can God work in your desire and action? Right? So we had something we complained about, but what is it? How can we invite God into that process? Say, God, in this complaint, would you shift my desire so that it's not about me, it's about you, 
And how would that change? How would that desire change the way I behaved in this situation? And as you do that, I hope that it wouldn't be guilt-filled. I hope that you would experience God's pleasure and his smile and him looking forward to working with you and watching you grow. That, you know, sometimes we hit these questions and we just like, oh, I have to change because I feel bad and God's mad at me again this Sunday. But I want you to envision Zion and how much we love seeing him grow and August grow and other babies and toddlers that renew grow up, how it's a pleasure and how God sees us the same way. So that gives us safety to share, right? And that, it just changes the way we approach it. So that's my prayer for us. Um, I'll just pray and then I would love for us to just kind of share and pray for each other. And then when you're done with that, where we take communion together and we just kind of think about Jesus, again, in the worst circumstances possible, being tortured and, and dying, saying it was the joy set before him that he went to the cross. And also how it's because of the cross that we're invited to be family first and then to work out our familyness um, as we grow. Father, we love you so much. Uh, we thank you just for this time of prayer. And um, yeah, we just say that you take pleasure in watching us grow and we don't have to run. Um, I pray, Lord, that in the spaces that we complain, we would ask you to change our desire, that that would happen first, and that when we hit that same spot this week, we would, we would feel our desire shifting because of your spirit, because we're relying on you. Desire is not something we have control over. We need you, God. And we ask that as our desire shift, our actions, the way we serve others, the way we do good would become possible as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We'd love for you guys to turn back and talk to the people around you, pray for each other. <laughs>